This is the Huddle.com LifeCast. We're talking to inspired and insightful people who have faced life's greatest challenges and broken through. Welcome, everyone, to the Huddle.com Livecast. I'm your host, Mark Stolo. I'm joined today by someone that we know in the Huddle Livecast, Alana Bloom. Alana, welcome back to the Huddle Livecast. Thanks for having me again. Uh, I'm excited about today's topic, um, not only because you're going to be running a session on Huddle uh, mm-hmm. on this topic, but yes. also because I think it's something that impacts so many people that I know. Mm-hmm. It's something that's so common in the stories that we hear on Huddle. And it has everything to do with the stories we tell ourselves. Yes. And what happens when those stories are no longer serving us well? What happens when we feel stuck in the stories that we tell ourselves? Mm-hmm. Why do we tell ourselves certain kinds of stories and not others? And then I think most importantly is how do we rewrite the stories of our lives when we don't feel like they're serving us anymore. Mm -hmm. I imagine in your own practice, being in the mental health space, that you must hear an entire rainbow of different Mm -hmm. kinds of stories coming through people's lives. Are you ever shocked by the things and the stories that you hear from people um, in terms of how they talk to themselves about themselves? Yeah, I'm always, you know, never cease to be amazed by the things that I hear. And I think a really big common theme is how critical we all can be of ourselves. And, you know, a question I always like to ask is like, would you speak that way to a friend given the opportunity? Mm -hmm. And most people would say, I would never talk to somebody like that. And then I say, but you're talking to yourself like that on a daily basis. So how do you feel like that's impacting like your self-esteem, your self-worth when you're treating yourself how you wouldn't even treat an enemy of yours? Right. I mean, for people, when we talk about the stories that we tell ourselves, um, maybe define in your own words what we mean by the stories we tell ourselves. So yeah, a lot of our stories um, really begin in childhood, right? So that's where they become planted and based within. So it could be a story about, um, it starts at a young age, and it's usually based within what your parents have been telling you, because they are your primary caregivers. And at the time that we're children, we're kind of at an egocentric state. So we just think that everything's happening to us because of us. And we don't really have the depths to really question our realities, what's true, what's not, because we're completely, you know, brand new, and we're just being told about our experiences, and then we apply meaning to it. So a lot of the times our development is starting from childhood, and it's continuing on to adulthood. And it could be stories about um, whatever we find to be like our values, our morals, whatever we pertain meaning to. Um, And a lot of the commonalities can be, you know, I'll never find a healthy relationship. Or um, if my parents didn't love me, who would love me? And we kind of get wrapped in the story that we just like completely repeat over and over again. Yeah. So what's the, this question of why stories tend to repeat themselves? Mm-hmm. I'm sure most therapists see this often, this, this kind of continuity in the story that keeps coming back to the surface and readdressing the story. They almost have a sticky quality. 
about yes. them. Like we get yeah. very, very stuck in them. Why are they so sticky? Yeah, they can be very difficult to get out of. And I think a lot of it is based within the comfort that they provide. So because we were receiving these messages from such a young age, that's all that we really knew. So it kind of becomes like our baseline of comfort, security, even though it could we could be miserable within these stories that we're telling ourselves. And it really can be you know, deprivating in the fact that we're not progressing and we're not really moving into realms within our world that we feel would best get to our authentic selves we get stuck in this loop in this cycle of the things we keep repeating but it's because it's so known and a lot of the times going to the unknown is just based with so much fear around it i thought that's an interesting contrast because we you would think rationally that a story that you would like would make you feel um well right Mm -hmm. but you talk about the concept of comfort more along the vein of familiarity Yes, that we can become familiar with things that are also make, you know, make us unwell. Yes, exactly. Right. And it's a big unfortunate part of our minds as well, because a lot of times we like to get stuck more within the negative than rather, you know, something that's more balanced. So we'll think more back about, you know, a previous pain or, you know, something negative that somebody said about us. But the positive thing somebody said that kind of gets brushed under the rug. Yeah, it's I, I think it's interesting that we tend to also punish ourselves for the stories that we tell ourselves, the the, the mm-hmm. uncomfortable stories that we've gotten used to. And that also mm-hmm. perpetuates the cycle of feeling bad about feeling bad about feeling bad, right? It's just this endless kind of can of worms that seems to be have no bottom to it as we get yeah. more and more anchored in, you know, criticizing ourselves for being self-critical. Yes, exactly. Are there, do you see patterns in the kinds of stories that people tell themselves? Are there any kind of similar patterns you see across storytelling? Across yes. the a st- lot of it styles de- almost, I would think. Yeah, exactly. I find a lot of it depends, you know, on childhood because I think a lot of the stories that we tell ourselves, we can hear, let's just say, a critical parent or we can feel, you know, a demeaning friend that's kind of fueling the story that's happening. Um, So a lot of times, depending on childhood, we can get stuck in this kind of victim role. And um, a lot of times we're thinking what happened in our past, you know, has created this whole path for our future now. So then the themes can be, you know, dad was an alcoholic and in which this is why my life isn't on track of where I wanted it to be. How much, how important is it to reconcile the past to start the the process of rewriting the future like why is that excavation so important because you know there's there are different professionals or practitioners who look at the role of the past differently Um, Mm -hmm. so for example in like the coaching profession they tend to be very future focused. So you rarely will have a coach that will do a lot of like past excavation work, whereas in the mental health domain and in therapy, past excavation is often a very central role or central part of this healing process. Mm -hmm. How much of this excavating of the past do we have to do to start the process of kind of emptying the page, so to speak, and rewriting the story? I find it's actually very important because I find that all three aspects are happening all at once. So the past is still present because this is where we're getting our narratives of our experiences is from what happened 
before, we're having this selective perspective of what's happening right now within the present. And then we have an idealized sense of what we're wanting in the future. So throughout the day, we're kind of basing our realities around all three aspects that are happening. But if we're still stuck somewhere within the past that's keeping this narrative alive, then we can never really have a different perspective of what's actually occurring right now in the present. And then how do we get to that future that we have idealized? Right. I assume also that not all stories are, we're not fully conscious of all of the stories that we're telling ourselves. Some of them are kind of percolating below the surface. Yeah, I think a lot of them are unconscious and have gone unaware because if we were in a more consciously aware state, we would be able to kind of take like a third person perspective or a different lens to actually break down the narratives that we're telling ourselves. And the thing is, we're going through life being so unconscious that that's why we're just repeating the same narrative on a daily basis. When you're working with your clients on working through those narratives or rewriting that narrative um what does that process look like like give people a sense our listeners a sense of okay i'm I'm ready to rewrite the story of my life i feel like this story is not serving me anymore Mm -hmm. it's become uncomfortably comfortable right Mm -hmm. it's just i can just see that it's not creating uh helping me actualize the life that i want to create yeah. How do I start this process of rewriting the script on who I am? Yeah, so I think it's good to write down, you know, what is the story that I'm telling myself? And, you know, kind of dot, 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 you fill in the blanks. What does that look like? And then to be questioning yourself, is this story serving me? Is this getting me to where I want to be in my life? What are the holes within it? And then we kind of need to counter the story that we're having and to challenge it. So if this story isn't working, so what can be an alternative to it? And also, a lot of the times we're basing a lot of our feelings within facts. So can we really break this down even further to see, okay, I I feel this way, but where is the factual information to prove that this narrative, this story is factual and true? Right. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're basing your feelings and thoughts off of the past, you're Mm -hmm. very disconnected from the present. Yes, Right, you're simply running the present through the machinery of what happened before, and that's creating a similar output from a yes. feeling and thought pattern perspective. And I think that's very important to become aware of. Mm-hmm. That to really be to start rewriting the story of your life means that you have to be authentically aware of what's happening in the moment and be present okay. with what's happening in the moment. Yes. So, for example, I mean, let's let's talk about practical examples. If you're, you know. If your boss says to you, you know, I'd love to speak to you at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And if you've had past experiences with authority or with a boss that made you uncomfortable or something negative happened, you Mm -hmm. might have a very quick tendency to respond to that situation as and and catastrophize that situation. Right. Exactly. Something bad's going to happen out of this. He or she Mm -hmm. is going to tell me something I don't want to hear. You know, yes. I'm going to lose my job. And then there's this, this storytelling exercise, and we run this through the machinery of this narrative that we're used to from the past. Yes, we're going through the worst case scenario, and we're already at the point where we are fired, and how am I going to pay my rent? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that, uh, I mean, we talk about, like, people's character and, 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 and who they are. And most of the people I know in my lives in my life are are playing 
out many are manifesting diff, many different sides of their own stories um mm-hmm. and uh some of you know my acquaintances and my network are more conscious of their stories some are maybe a little less conscious of their stories and people find all kinds of ways to become functional with their stories even when they may be dysfunctional right mm-hmm. so for example like a person who's dealing with anxiety who's telling them the, themselves the story that the world beyond their home is a scary place yes. will adapt to that story by staying home yes. so so the extension of their original narrative which is the world is a scary place is part 2 of that story is my home is the only safe place to be and so they maladaptively adapt by just staying home all the time yes right so this kind of avoidance attachment reaction mm-hmm. to the different stories that we tell ourselves mm-hmm. it's interesting in the, in the world of you know unpacking our stories um what kind of things that we discover that we never really knew were were impacting us mm-hmm. like where does i know you talk about journaling where does talking out our stories serve an important role in this process you know and and i would i would think in therapy just the story the talking portion of our stories is so critical to the change process why is that talking out mm-hmm. so important I think a lot of times we have a lot of internal dialogue with ourselves and then we get stuck within this narrative and then within this loop of we're just kind of repeating the same things all the time. So this happened because of this and we kind of like have created this map of our lives but then when you're actually engaged within a conversation and maybe somebody's giving you a different perspective or a different lens, it can take you to a different part of the story that maybe has gotten glossed over and that you haven't even explored because your mind hasn't allowed yourself to take you there. So it's really important to then kind of have that third person that can maybe guide you there and something new can come out of the conversation rather than just the culprit that you've already constructed for yourself. Yeah, I th- you notice this a lot and actually in in our day-to-day lives when you know we're very very good at advice giving because we tend to be very good at staying objective when it comes to other people's stories. Yeah. Right? So you're not you don't see yourself as a character in their lives. Mm-hmm. So you kind of come at their experience with a very blank slate, which is what mm-hmm. great therapists do. They come at their client's experience from a very let's call it a neutral ground. Yes. Uh not not unaffected, not not um insensitive, but neutral. Mm-hmm. So they don't play a role in in the lives of their clients, which gives them a very very uh neutral perspective. It's interesting this concept of neutrality and mm-hmm. developing a neutral perspective on our own lives. Yes. Which is complicated because to your point the script is so, you know, it's written in such strong ink. Mhm. It, it for a lot of people it feels like unerasable. Yes. What does it mean to develop a neutral disposition towards the stories we tell ourselves? Like where does neutrality matter in mm-hmm how we experience the stories or the narratives that are flowing through our minds and our lives. Yeah, so I like to kind of call it like conscious ego awareness. Um so it's basically when we can, you know, be inside our bodies feeling everything that's happening but then we can also be taking a outside observer perspective so to speak. And it's when you let's say you're having a conversation with somebody and you start to feel yourself getting defensive. 
So if we're just following our narrative, we would just become unconsciously defensive. We would get maybe upset, be reactive within the situation and then walk away of, see, I can't have any friends because nobody understands me. Um, no one understands my pain, whatever the story that we're telling ourselves. But when you're doing, when you're becoming the observer within that situation, you can feel yourself, okay, I'm coming, I'm becoming defensive. Why? Where is this stemming from? What other times have I felt this way in my life? And then you can begin to identify, oh, this conversation is reminding me of one that I had with my mother, of when she was highly critical of me, and I did not feel like she understood my perspective. And then within that moment, that gives you the sense of choice. How can I change this interaction that's happening right now and not just repeat similar patterns from the past and then walk away from it telling myself the same thing? Yeah, I think that's it's a very important thing to highlight, and I it's something that's grown a lot in the discussion of mindfulness practice, this practice of observation of mind. Yeah. But it's critical to the rewriting process. Mm-hmm. It's critical to learn the skill and the aptitude of being present with your thoughts and your feelings without becoming embroiled in them. Yes. Right? More like a viewer in a movie theater than an actor in that film. Yeah, exactly. So to speak. Um, but I think it's it's important to highlight that because it's, it's to me, from my perspective, it's not just an exercise in thought replacement. It's not like, mm-hmm. oh, story one is bad. I'll replace it with story two and story two will be better. Um, yeah. Because inevitably, even in story two, you're going to run into all, all kinds of very difficult circumstances that are filled mm-hmm. with doubt and nervousness and some anxiety and some stress. Um, yes cultivating the tools to maintain a certain amount of neutrality or a certain amount of observation over those experiences, a lot of times is what helps diffuse those. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, interesting. I, I mean, I was curious to explore, I know in your world that kind of going into the personal space is, is, is you know, there's the sense of creating a, a certain kind of clinical boundary, obviously, with your clients. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you may not talk about yourself in your own personal example, but I wonder yeah. if there's any takeaways from your own experience as you've, you know, kind of moved through your life about stories that you've had to unpack and look at more closely. Um, things that you realized weren't serving you very well and, and what that experience was like for you at a personal level. Yeah, I mean, I'm have been an unconscious person as well. And, you know, not aware either. And there's still times that I'm experiencing that. Um, But at different times, I like to bring it in even into my practice, because of course, you're hearing certain stories that are being told within therapy that might really resonate with you, it might trigger you, it might take you back to some of your own experiences that you've had. So in order to keep that neutrality within the session as well and with the, you know, client that's there, I have to be constantly observing myself and then observing the client as well. So like, what is this bringing up for me right now? What's happening? Why do I feel myself getting emotional or why am I getting defensive? And I have to constantly be checking in. And then if there is a pattern that I'm recognizing or something is repeatedly coming up for me, then that's something that I have to observe with myself as well. Because, you know, why is this, why does this keep triggering me? What has maybe happened in like my story in my life that's been happening? And then I need to start to like assess that and work through it as to like where it's stemming from and why it's still coming up into the present moment right now. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I've had a similar experience. I think back to, you know, being 
in my early 20s and deciding I was going to stop smoking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember that for that entire year, I really hated people who smoked. <laughs> I, really, <laughs> I really just developed a very um, uh, a deep kind of moral dislike for people who were smoking. I started moralizing the behavior, right? Um, and I could feel that there was just this persistent tension within me of wrestling with uh, releasing this habit and then projecting it outward onto other people. Yeah. I think it's an interesting point that you talk about and something to be mindful of in this retelling story process or this rewriting process is that <clears throat> sometimes, you know, when you're moving through that rewriting experience and mm-hmm. you haven't fully resolved that experience, that people triggering you can be a sign that, you know, you have more work to do in that particular yeah. space. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than saying, rather than developing this, um, seeing, seeing kind of a pushing away mindset and mm-hmm. continuing the judgment mindset is that if you're being triggered by this experience, mm-hmm. that it's indicative of something that, you know, you're, you're still really working on and you can, yeah. you can, doesn't mean you have to punish yourself for feeling triggered by it, but see it as an opportunity to, to say to yourself, maybe I have more work to do in that space. Yes. And I love the example that you use because I also, that's something I like to ask clients too, is when you're feeling so emotionally, you know, charged about something and it's bringing up a lot of emotions within you about another person's actions or behaviors, it's kind of good to look at, you know, am I seeing a bit of a mirror of myself? What is this person doing that maybe are some of the similarities that I have that maybe I don't like, or I'm trying to move away from that's causing me this, you know, emotional turmoil that's happening. So it's good to kind of see like the things we dislike in others are maybe some signs that of something we have in ourselves. So it's kind of good to look at that. Yeah, that's one. There's a line in uh, in Herman Hesse's uh, uh, Damien that reads something exactly like that. And it I found it's always something that's percolated in my consciousness that every time I find myself being triggered by something in someone else, I'm try to become very conscious about what it's actually stimulating inside of me. Yes. I mean, we only react to things that are known to us. Yeah. And the the more intense the reaction, typically the more close it is to home, Mm -hmm. so to speak, which is also why we often tend to have stronger reactions to people who are closer to us in our lives. Because they're much more bound into our, the stories. Mm -hmm of our lives. So you're much more triggered by your partner or you're much more triggered by a sibling. Um, Mm. whereas you might be less triggered by a stranger depending on the circumstance, but they're, they're, they play a more intense role in your overall life narrative, which means that Mm. when they trigger you, it can feel even more stimulates even more of a stronger reaction. Exactly. I think we put more emphasis and more of a storyline, even on the people who are surrounding us involved in our lives. So we have uh, a lot of things are built off of assumptions of the other person that they should know. And when that doesn't get met, then that ties in with our storyline even further. So there's this concept of kind of like living within like the, um, the gain or the um, grain. So when you're living in like the gap of what you're not having within your life, you're focused on all the things that you're missing out on that you don't have rather than looking at like the per- what has actually happened and what's progressing so you know for example like your husband could go pick you up flowers at the store and then he brings them home and the wife takes a look at them and they you know they're carnations and she hates carnations 
And then now her concept that she's putting within to that, the story she's telling herself is my husband doesn't know me at all. Right. And we're living within the gap there rather within what was the gain actually. So we've missed this whole other perspective of, you know, my husband had me in his mind. He went and did a nice deed. He spent money, but we're just focused on that, that gap that happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really good example. I just experienced this last night, actually. Um, what did you do? <laughs> well, my, you know, my wife and I, um, we fold our t-shirts differently as an example. So like I store my t-shirts in a certain way and she stores them in another way. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the, in the, in our home, we all kind of take on different roles, right? So like I do things like the garbage and other things and she often does the laundry. So she's putting away the laundry and she'll leave my t-shirts for me to kind of like prepare and put away in the closet. Mm -hmm. Um, how I see fit. And, and yeah. I, I always see these t-shirts just kind of sitting on top of my drawer ready to go in. And I asked her last night, like, you know, how come you don't put t-shirts away the way you put t-shirts away? And she's like, well, you fold them differently. And I found myself in that moment, like just about like having my own internal reaction to this thinking like, well, why can't the t-shirts just be put away and so on and so forth. And I realized like, you know, part of what she was saying to me, well, first of all, I had to like depersonalize the experience because A, it wasn't that important. Um, yeah. Um, and B, just try to see it from her perspective, you know, mm -hmm. like to see like she does this work, she folds the clothes, um, she puts them away. And in this particular circumstance, you know, if, if I have a certain way that I'm going to put my T-shirts away, it's OK for me to take up the baton and finish the task, so to speak. Yeah. And it's not yeah. something that she's doing at me. Mm -hmm. You know, and to, to forget everything to your point that she's done before that moment to lead to that moment. And it takes me literally a whole of 10 seconds to finish that experience. That's perfectly yeah. fine, too. Um, so what, what started out as a, a feeling of um, why can't you just finish this and mm -hmm. where it stimulates a feeling of like, let's call it mild agitation, turns mm -hmm. into a moment to, well, why don't I just look at this experience differently? And find some gratitude in the fact that she's doing something that is caring, kind, and supportive. And she's asking me to participate in a particular way. And that's perfectly yeah. fine, too. So I think the point is, like, rather than getting caught up in the narrative of, you know, why are you doing this to me? Mm -hmm. um, I could just as easily reframe that story and say, thank you for doing this for me. Exactly. And yeah. it has such a different impact and effect. And I'm sure your whole evening could have gone completely different. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. And also like, you know, in, and, and, and just getting oriented towards problem solving, you know, like mm -hmm. if, if, if this is how she's feels comfortable doing things, is it any skin off my back to just put my t-shirts away differently to make it easier on her to finish the life cycle of the launch? If that's, if that's really my goal to make yes. it easier for her to, to do the task from A to Z and me not to have to take up the folding of the t-shirts, just make it easier on her to do that. Yeah, you know? I think coming from a solution-focused, you know, lens rather than just throwing out problems there. And as well, if, you know, this really was the time thing, then how much time would have been spent on having this whole dialogue and emotional response to the situation? Yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's having... There's a certain kind of self-discipline where you have to catch yourself in a moment and ask yourself better questions, mm -hmm. you know, um, like, what am I trying to get out of this moment? Yes. 
right? If if the story of this that's unfolding here, I mean, I've given a very, let's call it more benign example, but if if the story here is not playing out in the way that I want, how do I rewrite it in a way that I do want, right? Yeah. She's saying to me, I feel uncomfortable doing something, and I'm saying, mm-hmm. I wish you would do it. Yeah. Right? And now we have like a, a tension point mm-hmm. or a mild tension point. So yes. is it difficult for me to like put my t-shirt in a drawer differently to make it easier for her to finish the task? Not really. I can do that mm-hmm. one time and rewrite the future of this experience. Yeah, exactly. Or I can keep confronting this every time the t-shirts come into the bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> right? And then just have that same experience over and over again. Yeah. So, you know, there's, when it comes to the stories we tell ourselves, we also have to recognize that that sometimes there's a kind of stubbornness. Mm-hmm. You know, like the constancy of the story creates a certain kind of stubbornness. That stickiness comes with stubbornness. Yes. You know, so how stubborn am I being about the stories that I'm telling myself? How well mm-hmm. are these stories serving me? Yes. I think that's a really, really important question. How well is this story serving me in my life? Yeah, I think that's always a good question to reflect on, you know, whatever the narrative or the story is that you're telling yourself. And I think for a lot of people who maybe had some issues with boundaries in the past, it can be really difficult because if you maybe you had no boundaries or you were a very passive individual and now you're trying to be more assertive, it can go to the other extreme of maybe being a bit more aggressive because you're thinking, I never want to go back to that place where people were just walking all over me. So I'm going to now stand my ground. But sometimes the things that we're trying to be, you know, so stubborn about is we're missing the whole script of what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I think, and then it goes back to the idea of like that neutrality and being creatively open to what is happening in the moment. Yes. Right. Like to, to replace a stubborn script with another stubborn script yeah. is still stubborn. Yeah. And it's still taking your experiences from the past and you're putting it into this situation you're being faced with right now. Right. Yeah. And it's, it was like the example for me of smoking, like the smoking was obviously a source of agitation in my life. And so when I gave it up, I just replaced it with a new kind of agitation, which was projected at other people. Right? <laughs> like I, I used to find myself agitating as a smoker. Now I find you agitating as a smoker. But really, at the end of the day, it was the same emotional experience. The only difference was is I wasn't killing myself with the cigarettes. But, but from an emotional place, it was evoking a very similar thing. Yes. Yeah. So it was really the stubbornness and the agitation that had to be looked at more than... I'm going to cure the, the world of not smoking. Like that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. No, like not that realistic. Yeah. Tell people about your upcoming uh, session slash, you know, mini workshop on, on storytelling. Tell them a little bit about it, date, time, what you're going to be talking about. Yeah, I'm so excited about it. So it's going to be on Wednesday, September 9th. It's at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. It will be an hour. Um, so we're going to talk about, you know, really how the narratives are cultivated, how this grew to be. Um, we're going to look at a lot of the self-sabotaging narratives that a lot of us are repeating and kind of how it's becoming like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, so we're going to start analyzing that. And then there'll be skills and tools in order for us to be like our own therapist of how we can kind of break the cycle of these narratives and look at things from a different perspective and a different lens. And then I'm looking forward to taking, you know, some questions. If anybody has anything that they want to add or they're going through something really difficult that they'd want to share in a group setting. Um, So that's kind of the format and I'm really looking forward to it. Cool. Yeah. I encourage everyone. It's a free session to, 
you can connect in and again you can you can participate you can more just be in an, an observation mode yes. <laughs> yeah. and then if you decide also through um, so you can register for the session on huddle.com you can join huddle and and the session is free for members and then if you decide after the session that you want to continue exploring your personal narrative uh, Lana is available on huddle for one-to-one uh, counseling yeah. so she's providing virtual counseling through huddle and we're providing a, a certain amount of free access to counseling on on huddle as well so you can activate this process with lana and start doing some discovery uh, which is amazing so for those of you who are new to huddle huddle is a place to meet amazing people like alana who are sharing wisdom finding support and becoming the best versions of themselves alana thank you so much for being on the thank huddle lifecast yeah i really appreciate it absolutely so this has been the Huddle.com Lifecast. I want to thank you for tuning in and thank you for turning on to your lives. 